Colossians chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 8. Paul is writing, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head and rule of all authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authority, authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. It's the word of God. So once again, for context, Paul is writing to this little church in this little town about this great big God that we serve. There is, you have to understand something about Paul's worldview and his, his approach and the place from where he comes when he writes these kinds of things. There is nothing outside of God's ability All things, Paul says, are under his feet. The universe is upheld by the word of his power. All things are created by him, both in heaven and on the earth. He is the head of the church. He is fully God. That's all in chapter 1. Let me me try to place, just for today's purposes, a little extra emphasis on that one particular thing this morning— All things were created by him, and all things are upheld by him. That's verse 16 in chapter 1. In our text this morning from chapter 2, though, I want you to notice where Paul begins the paragraph. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So see to it. That is a command. That's that's what we call imperative. He said, this is something you must do. You must see to it. Be vigilant, church. Be unyielding, church. See to it that you not become confused or deceived by worldly traditions and rudimentary principles. If you translate that word, elementary spirits, that's what you get. You get rudimentary, very basic principles. Now, how could that be confusing? Well, I'll tell you, because sometimes they strip the complexity of redemption and creation away, and they try to confuse you with the rudiments of things. So basic. So there's a reason why basic is a, an insult these days, because it's, it's too basic to be of any good. Rudimentary principles. Be vigilant that we not fall prey to those things, that we not get confused by human tradition and philosophies. If you back up just a little bit to verse 4 in chapter 2, he says nearly the exact same thing. Actually, back up to verse, verse 2. Paul begins chapter 2, he's he's, uh, telling them that he wants them to know how much he struggles for them because he wants their hearts to be encouraged. Verse 2, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, that's Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, I, I did a study 
on this, this little, you've heard this before. did a study on the word all in the translation, and uh, I found out that all means all. In Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look at verse 4. Paul says, I say this, remember what he just said, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. I say this. So I'm, I'm telling you this, he tells them this, so that no one may, be, may delude you with plausible arguments. So let me, let me try to paraphrase this. Remember we talked about paraphrasing just a minute ago. Let me try to paraphrase this to bring a bit more clarity. Paul says, he's saying, I want you to have such a confidence in Christ, knowing that all true knowledge and wisdom is found in Him. And I want you to be so confident in that that no one can confuse you or deceive you or cause you to turn away from the truth that is found in Christ. So He wants them to come to an understanding, and not just an understanding but a full assurance of understanding. This is a confidence. He wants them to be confident and rooted and grounded, unshakable in this understanding, unwavering in this understanding. And what is it that they want to understand? All knowledge and wisdom is found in Christ. The treasures of all knowledge and wisdom are found in Christ. Hidden in Christ, meant to be found. Everything that is truly knowable is only knowable through Christ. Science does not deny, but it supports and affirms the existence of a Creator. Science works the way it works because it was created that way. Uh, New discoveries in science and technology and medicine, they ought to point us over and over and over to the vastness and the brilliance and the glory of God our Creator. Look how amazing He is. We should look in the microscope and see the microbes doing what microbes do beyond the vision of the the, the scope of the naked eye. We have to have help to see it. We should look into the microscope and see those things and marvel at God's intricate creation. We should look through a telescope at the far reaches of our universe and be amazed at how big our God is. He made it. The universe, Paul said, is upheld by the word of his power. If God ever stopped speaking, the universe would cease to exist. It's upheld by his word. But what what happens, because we are fallen man, and because in the garden... We were tempted not with, not with things. Think about what Eve was tempted with. She wasn't tempted with fruit. She wasn't tempted with the tree. She was tempted with knowledge. And the way that the tempter tempted her was to call into question who God is. And the, the integrity of God. Did he really say? God just doesn't want you to be like he is. He wants you to be less than. And that's how he tempted her. So what happens then? We, we see things that should make us marvel at God. And in, in something as elementary as this, that God is the creator. and He upholds the universe by his own hand. And there is a purpose and an intention to what he, what he made. Instead of marveling at him, instead of praising God, what we end up doing is praising nature. 
the thing he made. Or, or, or we'll praise evolution, the thing he caused. Or, or we'll even chalk it up to chance. It all just exploded and we wound up here. You know, I saw that in the Bible one time uh, when Moses came down off of Mount Sinai and uh, Aaron had made a golden calf and Moses was like, what are you doing? And Aaron said, well, these people, they just gave me their gold, I threw it into the fire and out come this calf. That doesn't happen that way, you know, right? There's a creator, okay? Um, and so the universe didn't happen that way. All the stuff just together, now come people. What? That's insane. It takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe in an intelligent creator. Look at some creation deniers who deny the God creator and how they explain the origins of the universe. They go so far, or the origins of man. They go so far as to say that mankind was seeded our DNA was placed here by aliens. I mean, so you believe in aliens, which we have no evidence of, but you won't believe the written word, which has been testified for millennia. Amen. Amen. I mean, if you question the, and doubt the veracity, the truthfulness, and the historicity of the Bible, don't. It is one of the most attested works of all time. There is no other historical document that has more testaments to its truth than the... And I'm not just saying that it's truth because it's testified of itself, but other people throughout history have said, this happened. The ones that were there, this happened. It happened. And so we, we, instead of praising God for His creation and the intricacy and the purposefulness and the beauty of his creation, we chalk it up to chance. It all happened by chance. So we take the created order, the intricate and marvelous, glorious handiwork of God, and we insult him and the greatness of what he's done by attributing all of it to chance. We don't even give credit to another intelligent being, super intelligent being. At least that would acknowledge the greatness of the work itself, right? But we give credit to chance. It all just happened. As if to say this whole universe and all the marvels that it contains is so elementary and basic and without marvel and without design that it just happened on its own. You know, a, a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> Even a monkey will use a hammer to hit things if you give it to him. We, we try to rob the glory that is owed to God, Amen. that belongs to him, Amen. when we reduce his work Amen. in purposeful creation to chance. We rob God of glory. We rob the work itself of any kind of meaning and purpose. So if this all happened by chance, and there is no purpose in creation, then there's no purpose in you. There's no meaning in you. And the logical extension of that, there's no intrinsic value in you. This is why our society is facing such a great moral and existential crisis today. Amen. Because we have robbed God of glory and we have robbed the work of God of all meaning and purpose. Amen. It's all chance. And when it's all chance, nothing has any intrinsic meaning or purpose. And that's when we see deluded people demanding the right to murder innocent people. Amen. Amen. Demanding the right to murder their own children. Amen. Our society has become deluded. 
That's what Paul warned us against. See to it that you don't be taken captive. They have become captive to the empty deceit about life itself, about the preciousness of life, the purposefulness of life. Now listen, life begins at conception. That's my firm conviction. I think it's backed by the data, and it's certainly backed by the Scripture. It's my sacredly held religious belief, and I think that's where laws protecting life should begin, at conception, when life begins. And personally, I'm not willing to budge on that. So when I cast my vote, I, I take that into consideration. I don't like to get overtly political, but there are some things on which we must take a stand. The scriptures are clear that those who are in the womb are formed in the image of God. They are carefully and wonderfully and purposefully made by Him through a biological process that He created. The fertilized egg is a living image bearer of God. And for all of the marvelous works that we can do on our own because God has gifted us with the ability to discover and to explore and to create and invent, with all the marvelous things we can do, we cannot replicate that. We can simulate the environment. We can artificially incubate, but we cannot create life. But if it's all by chance, there's no creator, there's no design, no purpose. And if they do acknowledge a creator, they remove him from his creation. That's when you see half of the Congress of the United States standing up and cheering during the State of the Union address at the very mention of enforcing the legal sanctioning of murdering the innocent. Did y'all see that? Make no mistake, they are not after basic protections from horrible situations like abuse and forced pregnancies. Not that those things, I don't think, provide any justification for murder in the first place, but that's not where they want to stop. That's not the end result. They want full-term and even post-birth abortions. Forget partial birth. They want the right to murder children up to a year old or later. If you don't believe me, if you think that's extreme, like who could think that? Who could want that? That's unthinkable that someone could advocate for that. Just watch some of the interviews of the people who are the most vocal in their their support and championing of abortion rights for all. Just watch. They're not secretive about it. They're not hiding it. It's out there in the open. They are deluded and blinded by the God of this world. And so without fully understanding what they're doing, they want to legally enshrine child sacrifice as a fundamental basic human right. And all of this on the altar of a false God. So what are they? They're murderers, number one, and they're idolaters. Should switch that. They're idolaters first, and because of that, they become murderers. Their actions and their beliefs, they should receive our absolute scorn and utter ire. We should be furious that this is allowed to happen in our country, in our land, in our towns and cities, in our communities. Their actions and beliefs should be met with righteous, vigorous, forceful resistance. That's strong words. Consider that when that same story, when when Moses came down from from the mountain and and God said, you better get down there because they're they're committing atrocities. So Moses comes down and he says, what's going on? And so we, we, you know, made this idol. And uh, what did Moses do? This is where the Levites get their commissioning as priests. Okay, he, he calls all the Levites. He says, y'all come to me if you're with me. 
Those of you here with me, come to me. And he says, okay, now strap on your sword and go kill the idolaters. The priesthood is meant to protect worship. We got a lot of lazy preachers <laughs> who aren't protecting worship. We cannot give an inch. So, yet yeah, their actions and their beliefs, they receive our scorn and their ire, our ire. We meet them with rigorous, vigorous, forceful. Resistance, not on my watch. We should not allow this kind of thing to happen. And the individuals, they themselves, should be met with the compassion of sinners who have been saved by grace, urging other sinners to turn and be saved. Talk about a dualism there. Read your Bibles, though. Read your Bibles. There is a distinction between how God will judge and condemn a society for its sins and evils that they commit as a society, and at the same time, he will rescue and redeem individuals Amen. in that society. Amen. Amen. Do, do you remember Sodom and, and Gomorrah? Yeah, the, the whole society was judged and condemned to be destroyed But through the intercession of Abraham, the angels, when they went to exact judgment on the city, they allowed Lot to go and appeal to anyone he could to turn and be rescued. Genesis 19.12, the angels said, Do you you have anyone else here? Son-in-law, daughter-in-laws, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place. So what does the Bible tell us that Lot did? It says he went out to his son-in-laws and he urged them to come away with him, but they laughed at him. They thought he was joking. There does not negate the fact, whether you think it's a joke or not, does not negate the fact that there was an offer of salvation on the table. There was an offer of redemption on the table, but the society was condemned. You remember Rahab? Rahab the harlot? She lived in a very famous city. You all know it, Jericho. You know what happened to Jericho? It was taken down. It was razed to the ground. R-A-Z-E-D. R-A-I-Z-E-D. R-A-Z. Raised with a Z. (laughs) In other words, it was leveled. It was leveled. It was a, a Gentile city, a Canaanite city, a city that had been handed over by God in judgment to the Israelites. His judgment was upon them because they're godless, pagan, idol-worshiping city, and now I'm giving it into your hands because they occupy the land I've promised you. So in Joshua 6, we see the whole city was devoted to to destruction. The men, the women, the children, every last one of them was devoted to destruction. And all the things in it were devoted to destruction. Do you remember the sin of Achan when he came out of the... And and all of Israel was put under judgment then because Achan, one man did not devote to destruction, he, except he kept some of the treasure and hid it under his tent. And so now all of Israel gets judged. Amen. Amen. So, I mean, God had judged the whole society. The whole city was to be raised to the ground. And, but, but there was one woman, Rahab, and she showed faith in the Lord and trust in the Lord. And so they said, everybody but Rahab, save her. The society was condemned. She was redeemed. So as Christians, that's how we should view evil systems and, and deceptions as, as things to be put down and destroyed before a holy God. Individuals should be loved with compassionate hearts and we should be mournful over their wickedness and we should desire that they be brought to true faith and conviction in Christ. Amen. Amen. That's a, sometimes it's a difficult thing to balance. Sometimes it is. It's difficult to separate, you know, your love for the soul and for this individual from the things that they do. And the, uh, the, the opinions and the beliefs that they hold. But that's what we must do. Who are they but the lost? 
We can say the same thing about another great sickness in our land, and that's the LGB trans ideology sweeping across our land and corrupting our institutions and destroying our children. When you remove the Creator from His creation and you proclaim that everything is just chance and that nothing has intrinsic meaning, and then we as a society have become fully deluded, fully confused, fully deceived. Men who believe that they can be women. Women who believe that they are men. And then anything and everything in between. Amen. This is pure, unadulterated evil. Amen. It's wicked. Amen. It's not just delusion and confusion. It is an affront to the created order and the creator. And yes, let's, let's lump these guys in the same category as those who murder innocent babies because it's every bit as much of an assault on the image of God as the, and, and his purposefulness in creation as abortion is. Amen. Amen. It's an assault on image bearers of God. It's an assault on the created order. It's an assault on the God who created them. There was an outcry this last week about a performance at the Grammys. Do y'all remember that? Did y'all see that in the news? So a a singer named Sam Smith was dressed as the devil, uh, and he was surrounded by dancers who, you know, for lack of a better description, they were falling down and and worshiping him as he sang. They were all cast in the red light, flames and fire bursting up behind them in the background. And then all of this, this was happening out front on a small stage. Then on the big stage on the back where all the flames were, they had a a cage. Inside this cage was another singer, uh, a man who believes he is a woman, in a cage, writhing in in sexual motions with other people dancing outside the cage. And the song they're singing is called Unholy. Duh. (laughs) Here's the irony. Oh my gosh, it's such an ironic depiction. If only they knew. Think about the imagery for just a minute. Without, Without realizing it, Maybe it was a providence of God. I, I, I can't say. I don't, I don't know. But you've got a man playing the devil out front, people worshiping him. Back behind him, you've got a man who thinks he's a woman in a cage. The only person in a cage is the one who thinks he's, in a, he's a woman. The transgender singer, so I think it goes by the name of Kim, Kim something, that's why I think it may be the providence of God without realizing it. They're, they're telling us the truth. Amen. <laughs> the person in the cage, the singer who thinks he's a, a woman, the man who thinks he's a woman, the one person on that stage who's literally in a cage is actually a man who believes he's a woman. Amen. Truly delusioned. Amen. Truly deceived. They have no idea how spot on and accurate that imagery is. I can't make this stuff up. It's as if they're televising and telegraphing and shouting and screaming to the world a warning to everyone. Wake up! This is a trap! This is prison! And they don't even realize it. They don't know how trapped and imprisoned they are. They just want to put it on display because they want glory, a glory that belongs to the risen living God. They want it for themselves, and that's what it looks like. It's prison. I'm not just drawing that kind of a conclusion out of thin air. I'm not attributing something to God that I shouldn't. Biblical history tells us that God is purposeful in his sovereignty to warn us about the wages of sin. First Corinthians 10, 6 through 12. Now, these things took place as an example for us. 
that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened. Amen. They happened to them, at, to them as an example for us. Amen. That they may be written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. Amen. Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. These people think that they stand. They think they are righteous in their delusion and they will demand compliance from you. Not, not support, but celebration. Not affirmation, but encouragement and compliance. It's not good enough to peacefully coexist. And I would tell you that we shouldn't. Not with that. This kind of thing isn't something that's just going on in New York and San Francisco and on some, you know, Hollywood TV show. This is not a far away problem, nor is abortion a far away problem. There are preachers in this town, this town, who embrace this kind of delusion and deception, and they are taking entire congregations straight to hell with them in the name of tolerance, acceptance, love, and Christ. I can't think of a higher form of blasphemy. There are so many children in our schools, in our tiny little town in Bible Belt, Texas, who are trapped in this same prison. There are men in our corner of the world who believe that they are women and women who believe that they are men. But see, it it didn't start there. It started with robbing the creator of glory. Robbing the creator of the glory of his creation. And then denying the wisdom of the created order. It started as an assault on the creator. This is where delusion begins. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we take God out of the equation. We take away obedience to his law and the fear of judgment. We refuse to find knowledge and wisdom through Christ. And what we have left is confusion and delusion. We're left denying the God that made us and replacing him with something of our own creation. And that is wicked idolatry. Romans 1 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. He said, you know what? Have at it. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary, for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. So we should, we should rage with righteous anger at the systems and the societal structures that push and promote this kind of wicked, idolatrous delusion. God is either on his throne or he is not God. God will be praised or he is not God. Amen. Amen. God will be obeyed, or he is not God. Amen. And my scripture tells me that one day every knee will bow, Amen. 
and every tongue will confess. The nations, though they rage, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. They'll do it with joy in their hearts or with utter dread. One way or the other, they will confess Christ is Lord. I want to do it with joy. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus, that you are Lord. We should rage against systems and societal structures that push this kind of thing. It's pure evil. They're after our children. They're after our men and our women. We should resist, push back. We cannot give an inch on this issue. I believe, and I'm not alone in this, but I believe that the gender ideology, gay, trans, LGBTQ debate issue, shouldn't be a debate, but that issue is the theological defining issue of our day. You go back a hundred years, they debated the divinity of Christ. If you thought that Christ actually was raised from the dead a hundred years ago, you were the weird one. Do you know that? We take that for granted. Each age, each culture, each society has its own theological war. There are issues. You go back further than that, they debated whether or not Jesus was the Son of God. Further than that, pedo-baptism, children being baptized. Every age has its issue, and I think this is the defining issue of our day. I really do. If we don't win this one, we'll, we'll, lose. we'll lose the nation. Amen. We'll lose it. Amen. Amen. We have so many churches that have capitulated to this, this godless ideology. Just this week, this very thing was a matter of great debate in the synod at the Church of England. Is it a debate? Male and female, he created them. How can an entire society be so confused about this? We should resist this kind of garbage and evil. We should push back against it. We cannot give an inch on the issue. And no, alternate pronouns are not loving. They are lies. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices in the truth. Not lies. Read 1 Corinthians. The United Methodist Church just, I mean, they come through a major split over this very issue. Episcopals. The Southern Baptist Convention, if they're not careful, they will find themselves in this same boat. The delusion is rampant. The ideology, the institutions, and structures that support it should be forcefully condemned. We just can't be silent on issues like this. At the same time, I know I'm speaking in in, uh, harsh terms, right? You know, um, we, we, we need to be militant about it. And I mean that in a figurative sense. But at the same time, we are called to be light in the world. God's offer of salvation and redemption in Jesus Christ goes out to every one of those individuals who are lost in their delusion. Just as it has gone out to you and me. Our hearts should be broken for the people who are lost and the people who are, are, are delusioned They should be met with our compassion. And and it's a compassion that only people who have been redeemed in Christ can know. Because I was once lost, but now I'm found. I know what that's like. So I can can sympathize with you. And I can show you a better way. Come, turn, and be saved. In the little time I have left, I want to try to get back to my text this morning. I'm sorry I've taken so long. Colossians 2. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. He's basically just restating his purpose in verse 4. And that is that Jesus Christ, in him, we find all the treasure of, of knowledge and wisdom. 
Jesus is the lens through which we must view the world. Creation, redemption, meaning, purpose. If we are to know anything for certain, we must know it through Christ. Amen. When I say I know it through Christ, I mean truth that accords with Christ, that lines up with the Word of God. Paul is arguing for a Christ-centered, Bible-informed view of this world. And he makes that argument as a rebuttal and a defense against the delusions and confusions and deceits of human traditions and rudimentary principles. This is why I think it is of the utmost importance that if you are to be a child of God, you are to be a Bible person. Amen. Amen. Because the danger is real. Yes, sir. It is our only concrete authority on who God is and what He desires for us. Amen. Paul bases this worldview, again, as a defense against delusion and deceit. He bases this Christ-centered worldview on the work of God through Christ. Look at it closely. The things that God has done for us. He circumcised us. And not in a physical way. This wasn't a physical like the Hebrews did. And how appropriate that we're here when we just talked about Moses' circumcision last week. And his failure to have that done. And how God came to him and wanted to kill him because of it. But fortunately, there was a son. A righteous son who was able to transmit the circumcision of one, the wicked, the righteous to the other. So in Christ, we have been circumcised, not in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. That's verse 11. The circumcision is a, is a putting off of the body of flesh, just as much as a physical circumcision is a cutting away of the flesh of the, of the body. Amen. Jesus has done this for us. And Paul is saying that through the work of Christ, he has recreated us as spiritual creatures. Amen. To walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. Amen. The old desires, the old nature, all of that has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We've been given power over them. Power over the deception of the world. Verse 12, we've been buried with him in baptism. Amen. Amen. Speaks again to the death of the old man, the death of the old self. Christ was crucified, died, and was buried for us, so that we might be partakers through faith in him, in his suffering, and in his death. And that, that's, that's an important point, that we are partakers with him in his suffering and in his death. Verse 12, still in verse 12, we have been raised with him. So in, in as much as we partake in his suffering and death, we partake in his resurrection, in his new life. We've been given new life in him. And this comes through faith in God's powerful working in raising Christ from the dead. If you deny the creator his work and purpose in creation, in the created order, how can you trust his work and purpose in redemption? Amen. If he's not God in creation... He is not God in redemption because that is the only reason that redemption works. God condescended to become flesh, to be man, to take the judgment and the penalty for man. The creator became the created to take the judgment of the rebellion for the created so that we might not have to face that judgment. You don't get to have God in redemption without God in creation. That would be a different gospel, which Paul says is no gospel at all. Verse 13 and 14 make that clear. We were dead in our trespasses, and God made us alive together through Christ. He forgave us of all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. He set it aside, nailing it to the work of the cross. That's why it's important we be partakers in his death and burial, so that we can then be partakers in his resurrection. We are uh, all dead. We were all dead. Such were some of you. Sinners in need of saving. 
There's not one of us that was any better off in our sin than the wickedness that I spoke of earlier. Just as condemned. For this reason, we ought to weep for their sakes. For this reason, we ought to be moved with compassion for their sakes. For the sakes of their souls. For the sakes of the individuals. The verse 15 shows us that it is right and righteous to stand forcefully against wickedness, against evil ideologies and systems, while working to reconcile the lost to Christ. God, in verse 15, disarmed the rulers and authorities, and don't skip over this part, he put them to open shame, triumphing over them in Christ. There is nothing but open shame reserved for wickedness in high places. Let me say this and I'll close. Try to restate my argument so that it's clear. Paul is adamant. He says it twice. That we are not to be deceived. That we not fall into delusion. Which tells me there is a real danger when we untether our understanding of the world from the work and purpose of God as revealed in the Word of God. So an understanding of the world outside the lens of Jesus Christ and His revealed nature and purpose and work is deception. It is dangerous deception. Christ is the final authority, the head of all rule and authority, verse 10. He has rescued us from the delusion of the world. He has ransomed us from the captivity and debt of sin. And he has given us new life in him. All other philosophies, all other traditions, all other ideologies that aren't centered on Christ, according to the scriptures, are destined for open shame, for embarrassment in the final day. That's a reason that we must take a stand on the controversial things in our time. If we don't, we become partakers in the sins of others. If I encourage you in your wrongdoing, I am as guilty in your wrongdoing as you are. If I encourage you in a life that leads to death, and I don't mean, I mean spiritual death. If I encourage you that I'm as guilty in your death as you are. If I know that the train has a bomb on it and it's going to go off and I pat you on the back and say, go with God while you get on the train, I am complicit in your death. You, do, do you see what I'm saying? If I affirm you in your wickedness and say, well, God loves you anyway. He's he's altogether behind you. You go and you just do you. Show me the Bible verse that says you do you. Where is it? That is complete. That is so anti-Bible. That is a high order blasphemy. No one. God never said you do you. Ever. So we we preach that, you do you, and guess what we're doing? We're making you God. (laughs) If we don't stand on the world, the word of God, stand before the world on the word of God, we will fall. So today, I, I just want to admonish you, and I want to encourage you. I want to admonish you to stand firm and don't give an inch. My, my wife and I both work for a public school system. It's a government-funded public school system. And unless the Lord does a mighty work in our culture, in our society, I believe it is only a matter of time, maybe shorter than longer, before one of us is required in order to keep our job as a condition of keeping our employment to forsake the things that we hold dear and believe about the, the biblical created order about the truths that the scriptures give us, just in order to keep our job. Amen. Amen. I 
pray that we have the strength to say, I'm not doing that. Some of you may be in that very situation. I don't know. You, you may be in the situation that you're, you're facing that kind of pressure right now. I pray the Lord gives you all strength to stand firm in the face of wickedness. While at the same time, we meet those who are lost with the compassion and love of our Savior. There, those won't always be easy waters to navigate. Trust me, I've been there, I know it. Sometimes it's confusing. What if, if, I, if I say this, what I know to be true, I, I know I'm only going to cause harm, I'm going to cause offense, which is going to push someone further away from the truth. I don't know how to, sometimes it's hard to wrestle. Sometimes the only place we can get comfort and solace is in the scripture and in prayer. God, you're going to have to show me. You're going to have to help me. I want to be true to you, but I would rather please God and offend man than do the opposite. If we keep going back to the word and we stay tethered to God, to what he has said, we will proceed, as Paul said, with full assurance of understanding in Christ. Full assurance of confident understanding that, Lord, though the world comes crashing down around me, I am standing on solid rock. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you um, thanking you, Lord, for your word. Thanking you for your son. Thanking you that you have loved us enough to, to send us truth. Father, I, we pray, I pray on behalf of all of us here, Lord, that you guard us from delusion. That you guard us from wicked deceit and, and, and philosophies and, and evil traditions. That you shield us from being caught captive by those things. Father, give us a hunger for your great word and a hunger for your holiness and a zeal for your glory. As we leave this place, Father, let us be lights, cities that are set up on a hill that cannot be put to, to cannot be dimmed, Lord, because your light is so bright within us. Father, we love you. Keep us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.